Good morning before the winter snow. Amen. Yeah, that's right. So glad that you're here. There are a lot of things happening in our culture and our society during these days, during this day. You know what I'm referring to? I want to say to you the most important thing that you can do today is to be gathered together for worship. To let the beauty of God's truth and love in Jesus Christ soak down deep into your soul so that by gazing at him, our lives can be transformed. Amen? That was small, but it was sincere, right? So, um, some great news for today, too, is that uh, our youth pastor and his wife had a baby girl. And so, you know, believe in, uh, believe in growing the youth group. It's one way to do it. Uh, so we give thanks for that. I mean, you know, life is just filled with a lot of like, whoa, and then like, oh, no, right? You ever, you know? I mean, I don't go through a week, but what I'm going, whoa, oh, no, you know, that kind of uh, thing that goes on in our lives. And so one of the uh, young uh, 30-something-year-old pastors in our John 17 Fellowship and all, the pastor of the, of the Edge, which is a four-square church, a small church up on North Hill, but he, uh, he passed away this week of cancer, small children, his wife Sarah, and it's just like, I just go, oh no, you know. So these things are hard and your heart just breaks and so would you just pray with me for a minute for Tom Gordon, uh, his family. Lord, we just pray, we, we lift up uh, this church, but more than that, we lift up that pastor and his family. We pray for his family, Sarah and and the kids, and we ask you, God, that you would just surround them. And, and during this uh, week of remembering together, but also of, uh, you know, the memorial service and all these other things that go on, we just pray that you would work your deep and amazing grace and peace into their lives in places that no human can touch. Thank you, Lord. We trust you. We need you. We need you greatly. And then thank you, Lord, for the times we go, wow, oh, God, you're so amazing. And we look at all this and we realize that all of life, the good and the bad, you know, the hard things, Lord, that it's, we're held in your hands and you will not forsake us even when things around us collapse. You are our sure foundation always. I pray that every person here would know that in a way that you communicate it to their hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we were made for more. That's the, uh, that's the series that we're in, uh, looking throughout the scriptures, particularly in the, in the New Testament, the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles in order to understand that we are not to live under the myth of scarcity, but we're to live on in the reality, the experience of the abundance of God. You do know that you have that choice. And you do know that our world, even in affluent America, lives under this myth of scarcity, which is really expressed in unbelief, fear, and insignificance. You just have all of this going on, a great deal of of fear in our culture. A lot of people are anxious about their lives. Um, You experience that, don't you? I mean, I know I do, and so it's really important for us to hear how God calls us out of out of scarcity into abundance. So kind of the way we've been saying it is 
that, you know, we want to confront the myth of scarcity, dismantling the strongholds of fear, unbelief, and insignificance. And we want to enter into the arena of God's abundance. So we want to experience more and more of God's abundance, the abundance of his love, the abundance of time, and the abundance of resources. So you know that we have a, a sense of scarcity about, about love, actually, because we, we, we don't believe, well, we don't act like we believe that. We have the emotional capacity to really love other people the way that we have been loved. In fact, many times we even deny that God loves us so extravagantly. So even if there is a huge funnel of love that God is pouring down upon us, funneling down into our lives, many times what's flowing out to somebody else is just a little, yeah, like a little squirt gun or something, right? Just like, just like a little bit of love. Maybe. But really, God wants us to experience the abundance and the sufficiency of his love that can flow through us and then flow out extravagantly into our world. I mean, the world of the real people that we are around, that we're with. I'm, I'm around mostly imperfect people, are you? Just mostly. Um, but to let that love just flow from God through, through us uh, out to others. And then, and then we'll be talking, in, uh, Bo, Bo Crescetto will, will work with this, the abundance of love, next week also. I'm really excited, and I've been talking about what he brings to us and how it's going to impact, how it impacts how we live our lives out in the world in, uh, in, in having spiritual conversations and giving witness to Jesus in the world. So huge. And then we're going to, uh, you know, kind of three Sundays around this abundance of love before we get into the abundance of time. You know that a lot of people, they live under scarcity. And how many times have I said, I just don't have enough time? We live under that. But that's a myth. We'll be unpacking that. And then how God, there's, there's, an, there's an abundance of, of time to be available to God for his mission, right? What we're here to do, what we're here for. Fulfill our purpose in him to live out our beloved lives and draw others into that belovedness, right? And then there's also this abundance of resources. We have, oftentimes we just fear we don't have enough or we fear that what we do have is going to be taken away. So there's this great myth of scarcity around resources when in fact God has, uh, has really given to us so much, like, like keeps pouring down into our lives. And once we can see that, then we can see also how we can be generous out to others as well. I mean, it, really, we're made for more. We're made for more than being anxious, fearful, self-centered people. We're made for more than being anxious, fearful, self-centered religious people. Right? Okay. So we want to shift this, the, from scarcity to abundance. Let me, let me just uh, pack, unpack that just a little bit for you. So the scarcity that grips our hearts through fear of not enough really is the depressing result of a lack of a relationship with God. Okay, so, so let me just give you some examples. When we are self-absorbed and protective of what is ours, we're living under the myth of scarcity. When we are indifferent to the needs around us, when we are loveless or hopeless, when we are unforgiving, threatening, or withdrawing, we are living under the myth of scarcity. When we are silent in the face of injustice, when we have offloaded the responsibility of love to someone else, when we live under shame, when we are afraid of others who are different from us, when we isolate, cluster, and fortress ourselves, 
when we believe the voices that separate and divide, and when we are quick to criticize and blame, we are all, these are all evidences of living in the myth of scarcity. But imagine another story, right? Imagine another story. I, I love the statement that I read recently, that God not only restores us, but he restores us. Just put, a, put an eye and restores, and you have restores. He not only restores us, but he restores us. He gives us a new narrative. A new, he gives us a new drama to be a part of. I mean, we're going to be a part of a drama. Let's be, a part of, let's be a part of the good news drama, right? So here it is, right? So if we're living under abundance, which is flowing from the generosity of God, these are some evidences of that. We are compassionate to others. We are forgiving to all who have disappointed, hurt, or offended us. We are free of our own shame, guilt, and regrets. When we take responsibility to love others as we have been loved by God, we show that we're living under God's abundance. When we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and live hopefully in all circumstances, when we resist the pull of fear and suspicion and offer our hearts to those around us, when we give away from ourselves and draw others different from us into fellowship with us, then we are living in the abundance of God's amazing grace. So I don't know, Which, where, where would you like to live? Where do you want to live? Right? The, the myth of, in the myth of scarcity, your world becomes smaller and smaller. In the abundance of God's generosity, our world becomes grander, <laughs> more amazing. And this is, so this is the good news, right? And Jesus is the way to this. I read recently of a spiritual conversation. Well, it's a conversation that turned into a spiritual conversation. Follower of Jesus. They were kind of talking together. He was talking with another, another person who was not yet a follower. And the conversation became, came around the purpose of life. And the follower of Christ said, well, I think my purpose in life is to make this world a better place. Right? And I've just, I think just by observing that making this a better place means that I need to become a more loving person. But the only way I can figure out to become a more loving person is to follow the person who was the most loving person anybody has ever experienced to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So I, I, like, I, I like the logic. <laughs> I think he's connected some things here that matter. Who, was, who doesn't want the world to be a better place? Right? Do you want the world to be a better place? No, nah, not really. I'm fine with the way it is. I don't think you're saying that, right? I want the world to be a better place. How's it going to be that way? Well, if we can just get like, if we can just get all of the bad guys put away and all the good guys can rule, you know, and we have all kinds of ways to do it. And it seems to me, like really, even in the secular, non-religious culture, people who call themselves spiritual, there is an understanding that we just need there's love is needed. I mean, love. Now, they may not understand that just like we don't understand that very well, but love is needed, right? Well, who demonstrates that best? Who can actually transform your heart and my heart into becoming these kinds of people who live out the love of God in our world? I think his name is probably Jesus, right? So we're going to look at that. Here's... Uh, Here's the text for today. So we move into this abundance of love. John, 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. You've heard these many times, but maybe you hear it brand new and fresh, just like I've been listening to it recently. Dear friends, 
Let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, so also we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Whew. God's word. So I just want to say, okay, just go do that. Bye. In fact, even after I finish this message today, I hope that you will go away and say, I'm just going to go look at this text, this word, and I'm going to discover what it means. Right? I'll give you some ways to do that today. So we want to expand our capacity to love. We want to shift from scarcity to abundance. So I'm, I'm talking about an actual shift that needs to happen in our hearts. And I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm on the front row seat on this one. I want the shift to happen in my heart. Maybe I'll say, oh, I've, I'm already doing that. But I would just like to, I, would, I just have this suspicion that I still have a lot more to learn. Right? And there's a lot more that needs to be shifted in me. So here it is. If we want to shift, we must understand this. That, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. And so really, the the big shift that's going to take place in this is just found in these verses, right? Dear friends, let us love one another. Love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So here's here's the key. Here's big. This is big, right? A big key in this is been born of God and knows God. Um, I, I, love, I really like to be born of. It really has to do with being fathered by God. Those that are fathered by God and who know God, right? So God has given new birth in us, but not. he hasn't just like, he's not like uh, an absentee father. He doesn't just say, okay, boom, you're a new person. Your sins are forgiven. Good luck. Have a great life. He is willing to father us, those who are fathered by God. So if we, if we watch what God has done and shown us in his son, Jesus Christ, it is like God who is fathering us. We've been fathered by God 
into the practice of love, into the reality of being people who are actually loving the way he has loved us. All right? So you have, so if, let God father you, right? I mean, God has a lot. He's pretty smart. I mean, he has a lot to say. He has a vision for your life. That vision is seen in the person of Jesus Christ. When you are born again into the faith, into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, is so that you would know God through Christ. So in Christ, being born into him and born again by him, we are being fathered by God into a life of love. So here it is. In this, we will then know God. Apart from this, we cannot know God. Right? So in, do you see how it's all about this relationship that we now have with him? And the next verse says, this is how God shows his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. He is your life, right? And this is love, not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, I just, I love this part. I, this, this, like, this relationship with him. So I, what I want to say in making the shift, I want to point you to the rela- your, your relationship with God, to be fathered by God, to become more like Christ, okay? To be fathered by him. And it's done in this way. Making the shift is done this way. It's by worship and by prayer. Okay, now I don't think you've ever heard this before just because you have. It's by worship and by prayer. Let's go to the next slide, okay? Thank you. So by worshiping and praying, by gazing and by saying, right? So by worshiping and praying and by gazing and by saying, worshiping, gazing. What if, I love this statement. I I think it was James Smith who said this. What if we're not primarily thinking beings? What if we're not primarily thinkers? What if we're primarily lovers? Ever since the Enlightenment centuries ago, the man has been approached as primarily a thinker. Now we do. We have a brain. We are to think. But what if we were primarily lovers? What if we were made for a love relationship with God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, personal, growing, dependent, and intimate relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Father, being fathered by God into the likeness of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, all because he is our first love? What if, what if all this matter of, of really believing and embracing this is about a relationship with him, that we're primarily made to love God? And I want to say to you that worship is about that. Worship and prayer is about that. Gazing and saying our requests and receiving from God. That's all about this personal relationship. We are not primarily thinkers, although we, are, we have minds, and we're to think with the mind of Christ, but we are primarily lovers. Now, let me ask you, is there any evidence in your life that you are loving God? That you are loving God? That, you know, so I want to suggest to you that worship is an amazing way to do that. We come before him. We worship him because of all that he has done for us. We are absolutely stunned by what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. If you're not, you'll never become a person who loves as Christ has loved you. Do you remember these verses? Like Romans 5, 8. Hope does not disappoint or put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through his Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
while we still had nothing to give back to him, Christ died for us, right? See, the worshiper, the followers of Jesus are people who can't get over this. I, we just can't get over this. I, we can't get over the, ma- the fact that not just that we've been forgiven, we have been, but that God would love us like this. I can't get over the fact that you love me like this. This is astonishing. It still is astonishing. After many years of following Christ, I just have to tell you, and contemplating these things, thinking about him, worshiping him, I cannot, in fact, the more I worship him in this and for this, the more I, I'm, I'm, I can't get over this. I can't get over that I'm loved this deeply by God. It's just now beginning to dawn on me after these years of following him, how much I am loved. It's just, it takes my breath away. I'm so sorry it's become a religious dogma. I'm so sorry it's become a doctrine that we believed. Uh, all, it's important dog, dogma, important doctrine. But I'm so sorry it's just become that. Instead of a way that God has fathered us, a way in which God has given us birth and is fathering us into our true humanity. Wow. So by worship. See, when you gather today, you, do you know what you're doing today? When you and I, when we gather together corporately like this and make a practice of it, we are setting in place a counter, a counterculture. We're setting in place something that's countercultural in our lives. All throughout our lives, all week long, other messages keep seeping in through the massive amounts of money put into advertising. Massive amounts of messages sent to us, seeping past our brains, into our hearts, without any analysis whatsoever given to these messages by our brains. They seep into our hearts and call us into a myth of scarcity, call us into an unreality that says you don't have enough, you aren't enough, you'll never measure up, God doesn't love you, there is no hope, this world's a scary place, And if you want some security, then you need this and you need that. If you want to matter, then you need this and you need that. And in fact, when we come to worship, we say, no, there's one thing that we need. We need this God who has given his son, Jesus Christ, for us. If you spend one hour of worship every week, what is it? You spend one hour out of 168, right? Possible hours, I think that's the number, in the week, you spent one out of 168 nurturing that message. That is just simply not enough. We're called to be worshiping beings, lovers of God. And so we're called into what? A worshiping, a gazing, a life that gazes at what God has done for us. Because I want to tell you, the messages coming from our culture, they are powerful And they are not life-giving. So taking time in worship, coming. This is not incidental today. What I'm praying and hope for you is that it'll just soak in you. We sang these words. Your reckless love, you know. How great you are, oh God. We sang these words. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We sang that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. What kingdom is that? It's this kingdom. This, This kingdom of love. Power of transformation, right? So I not only need that now, but I need that in my, when I leave here, I need to enter into a worshiping, praying, gazing life. I, I love the passage that says this, um, as it talks about gazing. For 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, of the, or the Spirit is the Lord, 
And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or gaze upon the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory. So as we gaze on Him, right? Just got to gaze, just gaze, just look at Him. Sometimes you you don't know what to say when you come to worship or prayer here or in private, you know, in personal prayer during the week or with others. Why don't you just gaze, just look at Him, just gaze at Him, just just gaze at Him, right? Just picture him the best you can in your mind. I heard my uh, our older daughter uh, give a witness this past uh, a few Sundays ago, perhaps, and and uh, I, I listened to uh, kind of the, the YouTube of it, and I heard her just say, "I God, even though the year has been really, really hard, as I have just she quoted this verse as I've gazed at him, he has become." So close and so tender to me. So I just, I just want to tell you, gazing, just look at him, just gaze. Do you, do you know, do you know you're not, in, do you know we're not in the dark? We're not in the dark. God sent his son to us, who is the light of the world, who is life and love for us. God has sent his son. God has done this. Now, we prefer darkness rather than light, the scriptures say, uh, unfortunately. But we don't have to be in the dark. I, I just I, I was given this picture uh, in in uh, some other reading I was doing is that if you walk out like if you walk out into the you know to, into nature if you walk out like in there before you are the mountains and the snow and the beautiful trees you know and the beautiful uh, sunrise or sunset and all the color and uh, and the stars if you walk out into that and you uh, and you, you can see it. But you know what? You can eliminate all of that just simply by putting your hand over your eyes. It's all still there. But what's happened with God's love and goodness and grace and power and hope is that many of us have just gone like this. And this hand is the myth of scarcity that we put over our eyes. So we act as though none of this is out there, given to us by God. So prayer and worship. and you, So prayer, you just take this and you, you soak in this and you begin to worship the God who is revealed in this way. All right, let's look at another verse. It says this, We love because he first loves us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. I don't like how that is said. I would rather say, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is just having a bad day. Don't you think we could come up with a better translation? However, (laughs) the word is liar. If I say the one thing and I am yet doing another, I'm a liar. If I say I love God and yet I hate a brother or sister, I am a liar. It doesn't say I'm lying. It says I'm a liar. This gets real serious, doesn't it? So from this point, I want to encourage us to expand our capacity to love, to shift from scarcity to abundance by helping us repent of this, of, of this uh, line, of this, of this liar mentality, okay? 
So I'll just look at the next, uh, uh, the next slide, thanks. So we're going to shift. So we're going to repent, which means we're going to have to turn, right? We're going to have to turn. So the first thing I want us to do is let's turn from unbelief. Um, see, unbelief fearfully, stubbornly, and rebelliously doubts the word of God and the works and the character of God. And unbelief expresses these doubts in words and actions. It asserts that we have a better gauge on reality than he does. It gives preeminence to our own assumptions, presuppositions, prejudices, and fears. That's a quote out of our Living Free manual. The stronghold of unbelief. See, unbelief fearfully, stubbornly, and rebelliously doubts the word. So I can look at the word. See, if I'm... This is a problem if I'm going to worship God. If I'm looking at this and I go, no, I don't think so. Well, that might be true for you, but that's not true for me. Well, obviously, my situation is different. My situation is more complex. Dude, who doesn't live a complex life? I'll tell you right now, your life is incredibly complex. Right? So here's the call of God to us. And if I look at that and say, I don't think so. All I'm doing is being an unbeliever. Okay? You can't be a follower if you're an unbeliever. And you can't be a a believer if you're not willing to follow. Okay? So repent of unbelief. Repent of this. John 1, John, 1 John 3, verse 23 says, And this is the command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus and to love one another as he commanded. So repent of unbelief. Sometimes we just need to say, man, I'm just experiencing all this scarcity, all this anxiety, all this fear, all this indifference, all this stuff going on in my life. I'm experiencing that. What is going on? It's sometimes best just to cut to the chase and say, I am an unbeliever. I mean, I I say one thing, but I'm not living it. I'm not contemplating it. I'm not really worshiping God around this. I am instead, I am instead gazing at myself, gazing at my my problems, gazing at the offenses of other people. I'm gazing at that, and occasionally I glance at God on Sunday morning at at 9 o'clock. Here's the deal. Glance at the issues, glance at the problems, and gaze at God. Make your repentance, right? Gaze upon him. Here's another repentance. Repent of nurturing resentment. Unforgiveness is a great barrier to love. Did you not know this? (laughs) How many of you know this? Two hands, three hands. I'll, I'll believe that those who didn't raise your hands, you actually know this. Repent of nursing resentment and instead turn to forgiveness. I, I love, uh, there's a great little book by John Perkins entitled, He Calls Me Friend. Uh, John Perkins is like, um, I'm what, 90 years old now, great civil rights uh, leader, great preacher of the gospel. My goodness, just like, ah, his hopefulness, his love, is just like, just oozes out of this man's skin when, he, when, he, when you're around him. It's just incredible. Anyway, he has a, a story of what entitled The Great Forgiver. Two friends were walking through the desert. During uh, some point of the journey, they had an argument, and one of the friends slapped the other one in the face. The one who got slapped was hurt, and without saying anything, wrote in the sand, 
today my best friend slapped me in the face. They kept walking until they found an oasis where they decided to to clean up from the journey. And as they were in um, the oasis, the one who had been slapped got stuck in the mire and started drowning. But the friend saved him. And after he recovered from the near drowning, he wrote on a stone, Today, my best friend saved my life. The friend who was has slapped and saved his best friend asked him, After I hurt you, you wrote in the sand, and now you write in the stone. Why? The other friend replied, When someone hurts us, we should write it down in the sand, where winds of forgiveness can erase it away. But when someone does us good, we must engrave it in a stone where no wind can ever erase it. Now that would be a repentance for most of us. Because when people hurt us, a lot of times we write it in stone. And when we do, they do us good, we put it in the sand and we quickly forget it. Forgiveness. You want to expand the capacity to love? Then we must do away with the offenses we are carrying that erode our ability to love. Repent. Another repentance simply is this. The repentance of indifference. Indifference is more like, you know, it's a subtle equivalent of hatred. uh, But we're just indifferent. We offload the responsibility of love to other people. Rather than enter into it ourselves. John, 1 John 3, 16 through 18. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has the material possessions and sees a brother or sister in a need, but has no pity or compassion on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear friend, let's not love just with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. See, we repent of indifference. And so what we do is, instead of offloading the responsibility, that's what scarcity does, we ask God, how shall we do this? Because a lot of times we don't know, so we ask him, how shall we do this? Shifting from scarcity to abundance. And then let me just conclude with this one last huge, beautiful thing. We shift from scarcity to abundance when we choose Jesus And we choose love. Verse 17. This is how love was made complete among us. So that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. And the most striking words I think in the New Testament. In this world we are like Jesus. In this world we are like Jesus. I'm not going to take the time to read it. But you you can read and. In uh, 1 Corinthians, uh, love is, what is it, right? Love is patient and kind and love does not, is not rude and is not self-seeking and love keeps no record of wrongs, right? And then Luke chapter 6, verses 7, 27 through 38, Jesus says, love your enemies, right? Do good to those who do bad to you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Well, tell me, is there, is there room <laughs> to love like this? How do we do that? In this world, we are like, how was Jesus? Jesus was like this. So, here's the deal. In, 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 in saying this, 
It calls us to always release God's love to others, to step out of what is normal for us, what is easy for us, what is comfortable for us, and to simply love like Jesus did. Whoa. Sometimes engaging in worship and prayer. Yeah, you know, I think if we saw what was happening, we'd be looking at Jesus, we'd be gazing at him, and all of a sudden we realize he stopped looking at us and he's looking somewhere else. And we follow his gaze, we follow his gaze, and we find that he's looking at someone outside of our circle who has need. If you look into the eyes of Jesus, he'll look back at you a, a lot. But if you look at him enough, you'll see him looking away from you to someone else as if to say, let's go there. Let's go love that person. But God, they're not of us. That's what, that's what the disciples said. They're not of us and they were doing this and that. And Jesus said, let's go there. Let's go there. So, here's what I invite you to do. I call you to this. I call you to worship. I call you to prayer. Will you, will you join with me? <laughs> to become a community of, of God's people who are worshipers, who pray, who don't just do it on occasion, but who learn to do this as an active, central, core part of their being. So I call you to this. I call you this week. Again. I call you on a Wednesday. Take away something you normally do, whether it's a meal or an activity. Remove it from your life and fill it with prayer and worship on Wednesday. Let's just all do that, right? Just put it down on your calendar on Wednesday. Take away a normal activity or a meal. Just remove it. And put in its place worship and prayer. And what do you say? What do we pray? What Take this scripture. Again, take this scripture like we did last week. Take this scripture and gaze at it. Look at it. Gaze at the God that this tells us about. Look at him. Tell him that you want to be like this. Ask him to reveal where you're not like this. Invite him to be very specific. To shape your life by your worship and by your prayers. Repent where you need to repent. Change your mind. Quit making excuses. Ask God to make you like what it says in verse 17. In this world, we are like Jesus. Amen? If you can make it come on Thursday night, we're going to pray. We're going to pray around this. We're going to pray that we become this more and more, this kind of community, because we're praying that God would release the abundance of his love into our, into our poverty-stricken, fear-filled, anxiety-ridden world. And I guarantee you, the world needs more of Christ in us. Amen? Amen. So, I just want to ask you, I think the question is implied in this text. Do you believe that God sent Jesus Christ 
actually in the flesh. To be the atoning sacrifice for your sins, all of your sins, to, to wipe away all of your sins and reconcile you to God so that you could become a person who is fathered by God into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Have you ever said to him, I believe you and I want to be fathered by you. I want to be born again. I want to be fathered by you into this relationship with Jesus. I want to become this kind of person. Maybe you said it a long time ago, but you long forgot about it. Isn't it time to renew that? And let him do a fresh work by his Holy Spirit in you. It is the cry of my heart that that, in fact, happens to all of us. Amen. We're going to sing. We're going to pray. If you just want to come and pray and say, God, do that in me, just just come. We're not going to have people up here this time to be praying with you unless you desire it. There'll be some people later. But if you want to come and just present yourself before God and say, do that in me, do it in me, I invite you to come. If that helps you kind of break out of yourself, come, all right? Let's stand. Father, thank you for your good word. It's a powerful word for us. God is love. The one born of God and knows God is going to be a person that loves others the way Jesus has loved us. Refresh, renew, and father us, O God, into this kind of love, we pray. Here we are, Lord. Glad surrender to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing. Let's just worship him. Feel free, come and pray.